This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. It's Freestyle Friday, and I am Glenda Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network. And I'm Mandy Flanders, host of the Leadline Podcast. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning for Friday, May 20th, episode 2937. This episode is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. Good morning, horse world. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Mandy is filling in today for Jamie. Jamie is off uh, visiting her dad over my part of the country in Georgia. Thanks for filling in today, Mandy. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Is this your first time doing really bad ads? You know, I don't remember. I feel like maybe I did them one other time with you, but it was a long time ago. You you asked me to do so much. I never can keep track of what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. (laughs) Hey, uh, Ohio. Ashtabula, Ohio. Over the weekend, uh, I love this story, actually, because I grew up in Amish country. I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I've seen this situation. So at 2.43 a.m. on Saturday in Orwell, Ohio, which is near Ashtabula, deputies and Orwell police were called to the area by a bunch of people calling 911 reporting that a buggy was all over the road. An Amish buggy was just all over the place. Uh, The deputy tells other officers that the driver in the buggy appears to be asleep. This is a quote over the radio. He just turned eastbound on Bogue Street, and I yelled at the guy when he rode by. There is a Bud Light can sitting in the damn buggy, and I hit the side of the buggy and hollered at the guy. He passed out. He's clean passed out. He slumped over. The deputy pursued the horse and tried to get it to stop. After several minutes, Talbot was able to get his cruise in front of the horse. Quote from 911 call, I haven't stopped. Nope, disregard. He just rammed into my car. <laughs> so he pulled it from the horse, and the horse went, oh, I'm forward to this. <laughs> apparently, apparently, the driver finally woke up and was able to control the horse. The driver was arrested on a charge of operating a vehicle while intoxicated, and is in due court on Thursday. The driver of the buggy suffered a minor injury. Talbert was not injured, and the horse is okay. So he said that, uh, the deputy said that traffic stops of horse and buggies are unusual. But not unheard of, apparently. So, And I do know that that's happened in Lancaster County, too. They would pull them over for driving drunk on a Saturday night. It's always on a Saturday night because that's the night they get to go out and play. So there you go. Oh, my God. What were so many people doing up at 2.43 in the morning to call 911 on the buggy? As my dad always said, nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m. So. <laughs> There used to be a place in Lancaster County, it's well known, because for us high school kids, it was well known too, that all of the, so there was different, there's different levels of, of Amish and Mennonites. So the Amish pretty much always had buggies, but the Mennonites uh, would have different levels of Mennonite. There was the really strict Mennonites that would, would ride in buggies. And then there was ones that would do black bumper cars. So they would do a car, but it couldn't have any chrome on it. So they'd paint all the chrome and they'd paint it black. Now you can actually get cars that way. Back then, it was all chrome. So they painted it. Well, they had a one of the Amish churches. The Mennonites used to invade on Saturday night in the parking lot with all their black bumper cars and used to have these big make-out sessions and parties. So sometimes they'd even do a bonfire in the middle of the driveway. <laughs> so the Mennonites used to go do the partying and the make-out sessions at the Amish church. It was well known. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So I live yeah. in Amish country too, so I I see them quite a bit up here in upstate New York. Have you ever seen any of the drunk drivers? Well, you're not out at two a.m. I'm Saturday I'm just night not night. up that early, <laughs> <laughs> that early, that late. I guess it's early because it's early in the morning. But yeah, the only thing that that's good that happens after two a.m. is sleep. <laughs> that's right. That is true. Do we sound like old fogies or what? <laughs> well, obviously, Mandy's here today, and she's going to bring us a piece of an interview that she did that I found absolutely fascinating. We'll talk about that. Colton Woods is going to join us. Uh, thanks to you today. 
And also, I'm going to do a Horses in History segment. Uh, I did one before on the history of the saddle in general, going way back. And I said I would do one on the history of the Western saddle when that started, and the English saddle, as we know it today. So that's what I got. I have the Western saddle today. Because you're here, you're kind of Western, and Colton's kind of Western, so I thought I'd do Western today. Western it is. Really bad ads. You guys were all worried they were gone. Well, they have been gone the last couple of weeks just because of timing and schedule. But uh, today we're going to do some really bad ads. So relax. They haven't gone anywhere. I know you'd all have a heart attack if they did. So let's do first. Oh, and we're going to do a post show today. Uh, Jennifer and I went trailer shopping yesterday. I want to tell you a little bit about that. But uh, first, we have Daily Winnie's. of birthdays today. First is our contact, the person I work with and have known for years over at the World Equestrian Center is Candace Fitzgerald. She's the marketing person over there. Happy birthday to Candace. Also, two of our auditors have birthdays this weekend, Elena Gavins and Carrie O'Hara. Happy birthday to both of you, too. All right. My uh, daily Winnie. Yeah. Oh. That's Are you trying turn. to talk over me, Glenn? No, I was just going to tell you. It's your turn. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm here with my cue. <laughs> well, my daily winning goes out to the people who showed up to my virtual networking event for horse business owners last night. Over at the lead line, we host uh, typically every month a virtual networking session where equestrian entrepreneurs can pop in on Zoom from the comfort of their own homes and get to know other people. So one of the reasons they love it is because a lot of them actually end up doing business with each other, which is kind of the whole purpose of networking, meeting other people, getting new clients, getting new business. So we had a really good turnout last night, and I wanted to give a shout out to those folks. So what did, what was was there a topic of discussion that came up that was hot or... So we actually did things a little bit different last night. Usually what we do is we'll, sessions are an hour long, and the first 30 minutes, everyone will have about... 60 seconds to introduce themselves and who they are. And then we'll go into a topic for the second part of the half hour. But last night I changed it up and we actually did it in more of a speed networking style where everyone broke out into breakout rooms and I gave them prompts and they would answer the questions with their partner in their breakout room. And everyone loved it. It was a lot more interactive and people got to kind of build on those relationships one-on-one in a different format. So that's why they were so excited last night. Yes, I've never used that feature before, but breakout rooms are awesome. You just, depending on how many people you have show up, you turn on the breakout rooms, you assign everybody to a room, and then they go off and they do their own thing. It was great. So the host can assign the rooms? I didn't know this. Yeah, you can either choose like who goes into what room or you can have it assigned at random through Zoom. But uh, yeah, we we had between two to three people per room, depending on the number. Um, That's really cool. I didn't even know you could do that. I learned something new today. Yeah. Well, you know, what was really funny is we had one woman who had called in on her phone for the audio, but then came in on video through her um, through one of her other devices. So we didn't realize until we'd done the breakout rooms a couple of times because we we would start them and, and stop and start again and, and refresh them that we were putting the phone version of her in one room and the video version of her in another room. <laughs> so she, when, when she did two back, at once. She's really multitasking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we came back, the people had, that had been in the rooms with her were like, um, Mandy, I think there's an issue here. So we got it all figured out, but it, it, it gave a lot of us a laugh. <laughs> it does look like you guys, uh, I mean, you, you always get a great turnout for that. Yeah, we really do. I've been doing them all. I guess now almost two years, a year and a half, but going on two years in August. So uh, they've everybody keeps showing up. So I keep doing them. Now, Mandy does a lead line podcast here on the Horse Radio Network. How long have you been doing that now? It's been a while. Yeah, a little over a year. I started in March of 21. So it's been a little bit over a year now. Well, you made it longer than 90% of other podcasts. <laughs> You're in the top 10% now because <laughs> you made it over a year. I'm very competitive. So I, I got to get into that. Top percentile. Yeah, I knew. I knew once you started it that it wouldn't go anywhere because you're too stubborn to quit. So that's true. <laughs> that's true, Mandy. And by the way, if you recognize Mandy's voice, yes, she was the one helping me out at AHP last week, which uh, we did the show from AHP last week. And uh, I haven't talked about it a whole lot with Jamie when we got back, but uh, it was a good show. I made some good contacts, have some uh, things in the works thanks to that. You know, every conference you go to, 
something happens. There's one thing that's a good thing that happens at every conference. So, and it's just because, you know, they talk about your virtual, right? Your virtual meetup there, but there's still nothing like being there in person. Meeting so people. I just, you know, sitting beside you at dinner and, you know, all of that, the table that we were at, the tables that we were at, uh, there's just, I don't know, still something about human contact that's important. Mm, uh, yeah. And they have some really great prizes at AHP. And I won, I won the briar at our table. Yes, for you that did. Last tell which, do, you remember, do you remember the briar's name? Yeah, it was Harley, right? It's Harley. That's right. Yeah. Harley is the, uh, the horse, uh, the, the horse that you see accompanying racehorses, that's the big one. Uh, so big Appaloosa, right? Was he in Appaloosa? Kind of got an I Appaloosa think so. butt. I, yeah. don't, I don't know a lot of my race details. Is it Appaloosa? But... Oh, he's a Harlequin draft. Sorry. Oh. Jennifer corrected me. Oh, so good, because I wouldn't have known that. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy was just happy to win it. So. Exactly. <laughs> Jennifer's in there going, don't I get very you know anything? So when I win something, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Usually see him at the Kentucky Derby, one of the Outrider horses, and he's been doing it for year, like eight years. So he's always very popular because he's the biggest one. Uh, and they had they gave him away at all the tables, and you were so excited when you won. It was cute. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I bubble wrapped him and brought him home in my backpack. <laughs> well, a lot of those outriders at races. By the way, tomorrow's the Preakness, and uh, that's about all we're going to talk about it because who cares? Uh, Kentucky Derby winner's <laughs> not in it, so we don't care. Uh, and I know people get mad at us. The true race fans get mad at us because Jamie and I, if the Kentucky Derby winner's not in it, it's like, uh, who cares? No Triple Crown this year. So, and and I bet you the Preakness people are thinking the same thing. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't come to my race, so nobody's going to care. So anyway, the true race fans will be there, but I bet you the betting is down 50% from when the Kentucky Derby winner goes. I have to look that up and see if, if that is that much of a decrease for the mm. betting. I bet you it is. But the Outriders, a lot of them use Western Saddles over on the track, and I decided this month to do the history of the Western Saddle. So a few weeks ago, I did the history, and you ride Western, right? I do. Yeah, yep. you've done both, but I think you ride Western now. And what kind of Western saddle do you have? Do you know? Just Oh, uh, yeah. I just changed over. The one I have now is a high horse saddle. So the high horse is a kind of a one of the cheaper saddles, like the saddle Y line. So really nice saddle, though. Even though I say it's cheaper, it's it's a little bit cheaper, but um, really nice saddle. And I, I my last one didn't fit. So I had a Dakota saddle previously and everyone was like, nope, that one's too wide. So I had to, I went back on, back into the market, looked really hard for a good saddle and just ended up with a high horse. That's a round skirt Western. I really like it. Very good. Well, as I said, we did a history of the early saddle last month. And, and uh, you know, we went over that the furthest documented saddles were probably fringed pieces of cloth. And they started around 700 B.C. in the Middle East. The earliest known use of stirrups was about 200 B.C. And these were small loops of material attached to the saddles and fit only the big toe. So you put your big toe through it, which just sounds like a disaster in making. Oh, but it, that does not sound comfortable. But it, you know, I don't know why somebody said in India, by the way, was where that started. And somebody figured, well, we could get more balance if we actually had stirrups, but let's just make it for the big toe instead of the whole foot. I don't know why that was. But they were made of leather and you stuck your big toe through them. So the Spaniards then took this basic saddle design and adapted it to what is known as the Spanish War Saddle. And that was a saddle with a wooden frame or tree, as well as, uh, and they did pad it, but they covered it in velvet. It wasn't until later that the saddle started to be covered, the wooden trees were covered in leather. Uh, it had a metal cantle and it was sharp, or, you know, curve, uh, it was just really sharp curve to prevent the rider from sliding off. And there were long plates descending from the pommel, which were also metal. And what that would do is per, uh, shield the rider's thighs and legs against uh, lance blows and also sword blows. So it was a really convoluted looking saddle and probably just clunky as heck. <laughs> So, but they used it for years and years and years, and the stirrups hung really low so that the rider sat with his legs. Your legs were almost straight. So over time, the Spaniards transitioned from the military saddle to what is known as the colonial expansion saddle, and that eventually evolved to become the stock saddle. So the Spanish stock saddle had no horn or skirts and had a low cantle. The stirrups were cut from a single piece of wood so that they would use wood for that and they would just carve it out. 
At least it wasn't just your big toe at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the saddle uh, made its w- may eventually from Spain north through Europe, and they started adapting to the Spanish type of saddle. They didn't have saddle horns. The saddle horn was invented in what we what they think about the early eighteen hundreds. Uh, by the vaqueros, the Spanish and Mexican vaqueros. And the reason they did that is when they used to round up cattle, remember saddles went from a transition from pretty much being used for war uh, to being used to work in, at the ranches. So with, when they didn't have a, a saddle horn, they would actually tie the livestock to the horse's tail. But and I love what? the way, yeah. And then they would lead the <laughs> livestock around with the horse and pulling it with a tail. Um, what they found, and I love this it's quote. So weird. <laughs> this is the sentence. This quote's great. Livestock was at was at first tied to the horse's tail, which the horses found objectionable. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> kidding. <laughs> so, I wonder how many years it took them to figure that out. <laughs> so, the vaqueros then tied it to the lariats on the D-rings on the rigging of the saddle. So, they would tie the cattle off to the rigging of the saddle. Well, that didn't prove efficient because your legs would tangled up. It was just a mess. So, eventually, through trial and error, they invented a prototype of which eventually became the saddle horn. Now, in the early days, it was just a, basically a, a piece of wood uh, that they would screw in to the to the wooden tree. Um, and then they eventually, you know, made it a little fancier and put the top knot on it so that the ropes wouldn't slide off. Apparently that took a number of years to figure out, but uh, the vaqueros were the first ones to invent and basically put a horn on the, on the saddle. Um, so they would also carry, because the vaqueros were on, uh, you know, on the trail all the time, rounding up cattle and, you know, shushing them about, um, that's how they said it back then. Uh, they had a small bedroll. They would carry a canteen. They would have a slicker uh, to combat wet weather. Um, the saddlebags, they would have saddlebags on there with extra clothes and fence tools. And they would also carry corn dodgers for nourishment. Do you know what corn dodgers are? I have no idea. I what didn't a corn either. Dodger I had to is. look that one up. <laughs> Uh, so in a pinch, you know, when you see Western movies, uh, when they're sleeping out in the wild around the campfire and they're always leaning their head against the saddle. Yeah. You know, they're using the saddle as the pillow. Apparently yeah. that's true. So when they didn't have a be- uh, bed roll or a saddle, they used to lean their heads against the saddle uh, when they went to sleep. Two reasons. One, it kind of acted as a pillow. And the second thing was so nobody'd steal their saddle. So they kept the saddles close at hand. Now, I wondered what a corn dodger was. So I looked that up, and apparently it says it, it originated as a survival food for pioneers in westward expansion. They were made of cornmeal, pork fat, salt, and water. They were fried in a cast iron skillet, and they could keep, they kept forever, and they would make them into balls, like corn cake balls almost and because they were easily transportable so they would have they would just wrap them in some cloth and they would put all these balls and they got hard because they weren't you know they were exposed to to air so they would get hard and probably tasted like crap after three or four days but that's what they stuffed in there i mean i guess when you're hungry you'll eat anything a corn cake ball will do the (laughs) trick So, uh, people I, ate a lot differently yes, years ago. Yes. And jerky, of course, was popular back then, too. So it was also in the 1800s that they started covering the wood trees with rawhide. So that happened in, in the 1800s. And the Spanish are given and the Spanish and vaqueros are given credit for that as well. Now, another guy came along during that time in the 1800s, and that's George McClellan. Everybody's heard of the McClellan military saddle, and you've probably all seen pictures of it. If you haven't, go go research that. It was developed over a number of years. The saddle has its its beginnings at the beginning of the Crimean War, and Captain, he was a captain then, Captain McClellan was sent, like many officers, observed the activities and observed the wars, saw how the cavalry rode and what problems they were having, and he decided, we need to come up with a better idea for this saddle. So he tested a, a variety of things, and finally landed on uh, his design was the McClellan saddle, and they used that for years and years and years in the cavalry. Uh, it was more comfortable. They could ride for longer periods of time, and you know they wouldn't be as sore. That was the whole thing, is they had to ride for 8, 10, 12 hours a day, and they were developing 
sores and everything else, and that's why he designed this saddle the way he designed it. So it was the Spaniards in Mexico that had the saddle with the horn, uh, and the Texans started seeing the saddle with the horn and went, well, that's a good idea. So they started uh, making saddles with horns because they were all handmade back then. Uh, so they started taking that design. So uh, they stole it from the Spanish, basically, and the Mexicans. And the Western Stock Saddle, as it was called, spread into North America. There were two – I'm almost done here. There were two major branches developed, the Texans, the Texacans, and the Californios. And those were the two types of saddles. They were a little bit different. They were much clunkier and bigger in Texas. The California people decided that uh, the Californio people decided we need a lighter saddle with not as big as skirts and we can ride better and not not uh, have to worry about they weren't doing as much cattle work. So they changed it a little bit. Uh, and many of the first generation of the Texas cowboys were missing thumbs. Do you know why? Oh, God, I can only imagine. Well, when they first got the saddle horn in, nobody, you know, this was their first time using it. So when they would wrap the rope around, and many times the steer would take off before the rope was wrapped around and their thumb was... Oh, no. And they would uh, basically amputate their thumbs. So apparently, this is true, there were a lot of Texas cowboys that were missing thumbs. And that's because the rope got caught. And the animal pulled tight. Well, um, I bet it was all dudes because <laughs> us women, we're smarter than that. <laughs> so we're not wrapping our thumb in any rope that some animal's going to haul off with. <laughs> so then they, they, somebody got smart and said, hey, look, all these guys are riding around with thumbs. It makes it harder to do your job and it's kind of messy. Let's just wrap the rope around the horn before we lasso the animal. So then they started doing that. I don't know how many years it took them to figure that out again. Uh, you think that would be sensical, but they started doing that, and it, less people were losing their thumbs that way. So, But apparently today, even to today, you'll come across a cowboy that is missing a thumb, and now you know why. Now I know. So, so I'm ending on that cheery note. <laughs> well, the cheery note is if you still have your thumb, you can feel proud that you haven't lost it. Roping <laughs> well, I just have to say about Western saddles, I love them because I like having the ability to hang things off of it. Yes. That's like my my biggest plus when it comes to Western saddles. And I'm just that kind of person anyways. I, I love like carabiners and clipping things on. And even when I just traveled to the American Horse Publications Conference in Lexington, I had so many carabiners attaching stuff to my backpack <laughs> on the did. plane. <laughs> It was crazy, but I love the convenience of being able to snap something on. Yes, you you do like your gadgets and gizmos. There's no That's question true. about that. And it is tougher <laughs> with an English saddle to carry as much crap as you can with a Western saddle. So yeah, the English just looks it it does look a lot cleaner. I'll give them that. It's a very clean look, and I, it looks great. But for me, I'm just like, let me throw all my stuff yeah, on. Not here. so good for packing into the mountains for a week. So. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> well, I'm going to do the history of the English saddle next. So there's your a little bit. Uh, there's much more to it. I just needed to. I just wanted to cover the basics there. Uh, we're going to go to Kentucky Performance Products now, and then we're going to come back with part of an interview that Mandy did on her show. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Spring is here, and so are pastures full of luscious green grass. Spring grass is high in vitamins, minerals, and sugar. Most horses have little problem adjusting to the changing sugar levels found in spring pasture, but for at-risk horses, grazing on sugary grass can lead to big problems such as colic or laminitis. By paying attention to daily temperatures and following a couple of simple rules, you can limit your horse's access to such sugar-laden grasses. In the spring and fall of the year, limit grazing or stop it completely when daytime temperatures are warm and nighttime temperatures are below 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Under these conditions, the grass produces sugar during the day and it stores it in its leaves. At night, the plant transfers the stored up sugars to the roots and stems to fuel the growth. 
If the evening temperatures are cold, the grass will not make that transfer and all of the sugar will remain in the leaves where it is readily available to your horse. In the summer when days are sunny and nights are warm, it is safe to allow grazing in the early morning hours, but it should be restricted late in the afternoon or evening. This is because most of the sugar that was produced the previous day has been used for growth overnight. Therefore, the level of sugar in the leaves is low in the morning. But as the day progresses, the grass once again accumulates sugar in its leaves in preparation for nighttime growth. So later in the day, the more sugar-packed leaves become. Because grass is a great source of essential vitamin E, horses that are restricted from grazing, especially easy keepers and horses in hard work, may develop vitamin E deficiencies. Lack of vitamin E can result in sore, stiff muscles and neurological problems. Elevate Maintenance Powder from Kentucky Performance Products is an affordable way to provide your horse with the vitamin E missing from his diet. Each scoop provides 1,000 international units of natural vitamin E, and natural vitamin E is absorbed and retained in the tissues at a much greater rate than the synthetic vitamin E found in many feeds and supplements. Best of all, when you choose a Kentucky Performance Product Supplement, you get a 100% satisfaction guarantee. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, Mandy, you do a show called The Lead Line Podcast, which everybody should listen to. It's a bit kind of a businessy related show, but you get into other stuff too. And you had the opportunity to in, interview one of the, the young and upcoming, really well-known trainers in the, in the Western world right now. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, you know, so Colton Woods is going to be on the Leadline podcast coming up in June. And I wasn't really familiar with Colton, but I had been following him on Facebook for a little bit. And I'm always on the lookout for equestrian business owners and equestrian entrepreneurs who are just forward thinkers and doing really cool things in the industry. And one thing I noticed about Colton based on the post that I was seeing in my feed was that he was always trying to put some really good content out to help support horse trainers in becoming more profitable in their horse training business. You often see a lot the horse trainers are, you know, they're working they're working really really hard. They're in the barn 24/7. They're always trying to build their business, maybe not making a ton of money though. So, I loved that he was doing that and I reached out to him and said, "Hey Colton, I, I love what's going on. Come on the podcast, come talk about it." And so I talked to him right before I flew out to um, Lexington, actually, earlier in the month, and his episode will be coming up coming up in June. But we had a really great conversation, and, and one of the things that I really liked about Colton is that, number one, I didn't have to ask him a lot of questions. He was a great He was a he cowboy that talked, a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> he was a great guest. He had a lot to say, which was, which was excellent for me as the host. I just got to sit back and listen. And it was almost like I was listening to another podcast while I was doing this interview with him because I was just sitting there absorbing everything that he was saying. And it was so good and so helpful. So I'm, I'm really excited for this episode to come out. And here's just a small clip, uh, about a 10-minute clip of Colton. And you can hear the rest when it comes out on Mandy's show. So for my childhood, it wasn't going to 4-H clubs and it wasn't going to the local horse shows. My childhood was being taken back to the warehouse and having to get to play in boxes, but also being around my parents talking about marketing, finances, customer experience. And those were the dinner conversations. Those were the car ride conversations that were just normal for me as a kid was all this business side of things. And I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug before I got bit by the horse bug. And once the horse bug kicked in, my parents, everyone else was like the same thing that many horse trainers hear, right? Like, you're going to die broke. You're not going to make it. Like, what the hell are you thinking? You could go work in the family business and you could do incredibly well. My parents told me, go, just go get a real job, air quotes, right? And enjoy your horses on the side. You didn't grow up around this. Even the people that did hard have a, hardly have a chance to make it. Like, everyone's feeding my parents all this information and they're on Google and they're like, this kid is insane. Like he's going to go get a worthless degree and he's not going to make it. And he's going to like, this is a terrible life decision. They did everything they possibly could to challenge me to make sure that I was preparing myself for when I did enter. And when I, when I did decide to pursue that, the horse side of my career, 
when I got into the businesses, when I started working for people that were doing this for a living and I got to travel and go to all different types of farms, whether it was a raining barn, I mean, top FEI level, like raining, dressage, the top, top barns. And I'm seeing how these people are running their businesses and it's month to month, debt on debt on debt. And I'm like, what is going on? So when I did finally get to starting my own business, I ran it like a business. I had no intentions in going broke as a horse trainer because I had just spent ten, like I spent over like a decade just developing my education solely focused on horses and my ability to train and give a high quality product and a high quality experience for my clients. So I didn't just spend the whole like a, over a decade developing those skills just to go die broke. You know, and that was one of those things. I didn't pursue my passion and sacrifice the profit that came along with it, which is something I'll share. I, I share with people. And so when I developed my training business, I absolutely ran it like a business. And of course, I had to start, you know, you had to start from the bottom, right? You have to build the clientele. You got to do the marketing. You have like, it, it wasn't, it was one of those things I had to start. I had the knowledge. Now I had to go prove it. And I had to take all these business concepts that were not from the horse industry and not the traditional way of running an equine business while still delivering what these clients wanted and be able to bring that together. And business is business. Even though it came from a different model, even though it came from international business where it was a multi-million dollar revenue each year, it still works in a horse training business to where you can make $100,000 a year. You know, take home, like one person. And you, if you want to go bigger than that, you can. Like you can build it to 500000 or a million dollar business if you want to. But you got to understand the principles of business. So the long-winded answer to your question is like when I started my horse training business, I, I did have the business mindset, but my business knowledge and experience, like, I wouldn't even say experience, but just exposure really as was from my childhood. And then throughout my childhood, I had like all kinds of ridiculous enterprises. Like I was growing plants, you know, like garden plants and sell them for three bucks, like at the farmer's market type deal. Or like I raised mice and chickens in my parents' basement on a golf course, which was very frowned upon and all of those sorts of things. But I would do anything like if I could provide a high quality product or experience that I believed in, then I was willing to go sell it. And that's to me what's so important for orchard is if you truly believe in what you're doing, there is no shame in marketing and selling yourself. Because if you don't, you're not living out your purpose. You're not doing what you should be doing by being able to serve as many horses and people and students as you want to. If you don't, if you you're like, if your ego is in the way of going, I don't want to market myself. I don't want to put myself out there and sound salesy. You're not living up to the to the potential and the purpose and the impact that you should be having on this industry because you could be helping that many more people if you would get over your your mental block of going, I don't want to sound salesy. It's like, no. You going out there and learning how to actually market yourself will allow you to serve more people and help more horses. And that's ultimately what's going to be a positive thing for the industry. So I'll let you take the back here and see where we want to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you almost did things in a reverse manner, just based on your upbringing. You really did learn about business first and then were introduced to horses second. But I think a lot of people that grow up in the horse world, they are exposed to horses first, and then they try to figure out the business aspect. And that's where they get hung up a little bit. So I'm going to ask you a very real and upfront question, because I, I feel like some people might be thinking this, but were you someone that came from money to get started with your horse business when you first decided you wanted to go out on your own? Or were you going in with nothing starting from scratch? I just think it's a question that people think of because yeah. they're going to be hearing from you, Colton, and they'll be like, well, it sounds like he came from a successful family. So maybe he had a lot of money so starting out. I'm, I'm really glad that you asked that question. For some people, it can be uncomfortable. Um, because a lot of people think, oh, his family run an international business is a multi, multi, like a multi-million dollar year revenue. Listen, my parents, this is, I grew up in a Southern house. So I grew up in a small town in North Carolina and they made it very, very clear that what they built and what they earned was theirs. That, there was times, you know, when the kids were about to get in trouble and my brother, my younger brother and I, and they're like, listen, you're a guest in this house, as far as I'm concerned. And those were direct quotes, right? Like, they're like, you are welcome to live here. We will provide for you. We love you. But they were very, very clear on the boundaries of what was ours and what wasn't. Because in full transparency, like for the for the first part of my childhood, like I did go to private school, but I honestly hated it. Um, I, I outgrew it. We lived, we moved overseas. I came back. I had a whole different global perspective. 
could not go back to this small town mentality. And so I told for high school, I went to public school and I wanted to get around people that actually, like it was like a real world people actually dealing with real hardships and not this little cluster community of a private school community, which is more like, I heard somebody the other day say it's more like boot camp than the real world, right? And they're trying to structure you to have this mentality. It has its benefits, but even when I went to public school, people knew where we lived and all this stuff. And I was like, listen, that's my parents' stuff, right? Like, that is theirs. They earned it. They built it. My parents didn't have two pennies to rub together when they got married. They built the company up from the ground up. And so for whatever reason, it really stuck with me that what they built was not mine. And that if I, I played sports growing up. And so it was always about the name of the team on the front of the Jersey, which was your school, not the name on the back, which was your own name. Now my Jersey never had my own name on it because we didn't do that, but it was still the principle of the matter. So for me, anytime I went and did anything in public, I was representing the family name. And to me, for, for whatever reason, that was something that was extremely, extremely important to me. And I wanted, so when I represented our family name, I was like, listen, my, my dad and my mom have built something incredible, but I've got to go do my thing, right? I have to go build my own deal. So when I, when, when I went off on my own, like I graduated from, University because I went to the equine program and then I jumped into a job where I was making $200 a week and I was making nothing. So I now have a college degree and I'm making 200 bucks a week, right? Like <laughs> a whole family was like, you've lost your damn mind. Like this is ridiculous. But I was there for, for three goals, see the country, meet people and learn how to train horses better. Like that was what I was there for. And I think when I took that job, I had four or $5,000 in the bank, right? That I had saved from all my little small entrepreneur ventures through high school and college. Like I had four or five grand. And when I left that job, I had about the same because I was barely making a living wage. My wife and I got engaged. I pushed all, I pushed the four or $5,000 into our personal account because our finances run together. And I pushed it in a personal account. My business account was at zero, zero when I started my own business. All right. And that, so to answer like, oh, we came from money. Like there was no handouts, right? And I didn't want them. I hate it. Like it has been one of the hardest things because my wife's an only child and I'm very transparent about this stuff, guys, because one, my wife and I are all cool with that. But like her parent, as an only child, her parents are very willing to provide for her. And it's been one of the, it has been one of the ultimate challenges since we've been dating, engaged, and now married for almost five years. Like where they're willing just to provide for their only child. And I'm like, I don't want handouts. Like I want to go earn my stripes. And, and so like, even if my parents had offered be like, here's some seed money, right? Like I I hate it because I want to pay that stuff back as fast as I can. Um, Even loans from the bank. I hate having debt. So I, I didn't know like as far as like, did, did my parents go and buy me a fancy barn? Hell no. Like I, I went and got a deal and like I started training horses out of my car. Like I traveled to people, right? And I had my saddle, my bridle, a couple of training aids, and I went to people until I had enough money and enough clients to actually justify renting a facility. And then I rented the facility and then I went to rent a bigger facility. Like, but it's it's a step-by-step process. So no, I I I really appreciate that you asked that question because it can, some people can make those conclusions. And I will be the first to say, I was, I'm very thankful for the upbringing I had. It did not come without hardship. Yeah, I mean, there was, we had some really, 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 really tough times that I'm very grateful for because they significantly impacted the way that I operate today. One of the things I really liked about this clip with Colton is that he was very honest and open when I, when I stumped him with that question and I didn't really stump him. I just kind of threw it at him like, Hey, so you came from a successful family. What does that mean as an entrepreneur? By the way, kudos to you for asking that question because we're all sitting around thinking that question, (laughs) but nobody has the guts to ask it. I got to admit there've been times I wanted to ask and I haven't asked it either. So good for you. You you, kind of have to, and you never know when you ask that question, like, did you come from you know, did you come from money? How did that contribute to starting your business? How did that impact you getting what you're doing, you know, up and going? 
But it is relevant, especially in the world of entrepreneurship, because there is a difference between having parents jumpstart a business for you or families jumpstart a business and then starting with nothing. And it doesn't get asked because it is kind of a taboo topic, but I was curious because it it does make a difference when you're starting a business. Like, I don't want people to listen to this episode and be like, well, you know, well, this guest had a bunch of money, but that's not my scenario. So that doesn't really apply to me, which is why I asked that question. And I felt like it, I didn't know all of that history about Colton and his family and how he started his business. So I learned a lot throughout it as well. You know, it, 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 I love that question because you're right. I mean, if somebody hands you a million dollars and say, go start the business, you have a leg up. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. You, you do. You may work as hard. You know, you may put in the thousand hour weeks to build that business, but it's a heck of a lot easier than when, when I even started Horse Radio Network with what little savings we had, you know, and we've built it without loans and you know, all, all this way. It's a lot. It'd be a lot bigger probably now if I had started with a million dollars. <laughs> or I would have blown the million dollars, one of the two. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I do want to add, there's nothing wrong with no. starting out if, if someone gives you a leg up. I wish I had the million dollars. <laughs> yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And it will get you to where you're going to faster. It's just the, the process Sometimes. is different. The journey is different. Yes, you you, just, you still have to be smart with your money. Yeah, yeah. depending <laughs> on the business. And you. <laughs> you know. And you know what, too, and I wonder if you've learned this. I wanted to ask you this. Have you learned through your show interviewing all those business people? And we've found this over the years that luck has a part to do with it too. Sometimes you just get lucky. And sometimes you need that lucky to really make the business grow. You do. And I, yeah, you do see that. You see that someone just had a lucky break. And some of my guests will say that too. Like it was something just snapped, it clicked, and everything started to work out. But it's not, even with the luck, it's not without a lot of those challenges and hardships along the way. And running a business is not as glamorous as it, it may sound. No. <laughs> Having your own business, it, definitely, it definitely not as glamorous. Not. <laughs> you end up you end up working a lot more hours, honestly. You want to work for yourself because you don't want to, you know, work for the man. And then you you start running your own business and you end up putting way more hours into it. And if you actually sat down and tracked what you did on a daily basis, this is actually something I'm trying to get better about is tracking the hours that you're putting into different tasks. I'll even give you a, a perfect example. I don't really sit down and like check my email all that often, but I'll sit in my email a lot and my, my emails will collect. And I actually just did a big email purge of like, I think I had maybe 500, 600 emails in my inbox. And I always felt like I wasn't finishing the email task. Well, I purged the email the other night, got it down to maybe seven emails in my inbox that I need to either follow up with or address later. And so I set myself a little bit of time yesterday. I set a timer, 15 minutes to go into my inbox and follow up with any emails. Well, I was done in five because I didn't have that many emails. So <laughs> I realized sometimes I sit there staring at my inbox and I waste a lot of time. And honestly, like I went and worked on it yesterday, set myself a timer and ended up beating out the timer because I didn't have that many emails yesterday. So I can have you, you work on my email box if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> Guarantee it's going to take more than five minutes. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to delete all. I do. <laughs> I archive all on, <laughs> twice a year because they get to be thousands in the inbox. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like, and it's yeah. depressing. You're absolutely right. It's depressing looking at that number. And then you get you just get nothing done because you're just staring you at just it. Stare at it. Yeah. You just stare at it. You just are like, well, I don't know what to work on because there's so much. So you really have to structure your time. Otherwise, you do get that like deer in headlights mode that ends up just taking more time on every task because you're not really sure where to focus that effort. And when you have so much to do, that tends to be the problem. Then you get less, you actually get less done because if you don't have, you know, that list in front of you for the day. We actually, yeah. before we started the show today, I, I spent last weekend with Mandy. We were at the HP conference. And the first thing I said to her, speaking of uh, entrepreneurs, this morning is, do you feel like you haven't had a day off in a couple of weeks? Because we haven't. And and it just, I feel that way. <laughs> you know, like I haven't yeah. had days off in a couple of weeks. And it's just, what it is when you're an entrepreneur to and we've been doing this business for 14 years and it's still that way you know you're still putting in the time and effort because you're always doing new things and those new things require time and effort we always have to be looking at what can we do that's different than the person who's trying to catch up to us right right um, you know you still have competition in in the podcasting world we have a lot more now so interesting i i like your show because of that and you're a good interviewer you do a good job with that and 
Well, you do a great job too, Glenn. Thank you. <laughs> the PhD equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Nutrition do a great job too. They tackle problems using science and their love of horses keeps them doing it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep innovating. Even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. They are dedicated to the scientific method, but it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and the love of the horse to help their horses reach their best life. Put their research to the test at horseinnovation.com. Go to horseinnovation.com. You ready for some really bad ads? I am ready. Let's do it. Pay it I say pay attention. If you ain't met one by now, you're bound to sooner or later. He says one thing and he means another, but hey, he can't help it. He's a horse trader. Horse trading. Well, it's a laissez-faire. Let the buyer beware. Horse trading. They tell a low-down lie with a sincere stare. Horse trading. Well, if they're talking in circles and the deal ain't square, he's a master in the fine art of persuading. Horse trading. That's right. It's time for Really Bad Ads, that time of the week when listeners submit ads from Craigslist or Facebook, and we just have a little bit of fun with them. And we give prizes away, although I don't know what the prizes are right now. We gave them away at the last show. We did Really Bad Ads, and I'm waiting for the next batch, so we'll probably have those for you for June. Horselovers.com is the one that provides the prizes, and we really appreciate them. Over 120,000 products in stock over at Horselovers.com. Head on over there today. All right, let's get started with really bad ads. The first one Holly sent to us. Uh, okay, so Mandy, do me a favor. The picture that is shown of this horse. Can you describe the picture of this horse for sale? Well, I see a big semi-truck with a trailer. <laughs> and there's a horse kind of in front of it, but it's not a close-up. It's very distant. So I'm seeing the horse's butt is to us in this photo. So I see a tail and the hind end, and there's a rider on it, but it's 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 not close at all. No. You can't see anything. <laughs> and the rider is riding giant, away from us. And on the right, there's like some giant tires or something. Yes, <laughs> look like tractor I don't know tires. what's going on, but it, I don't know. This is weird. You can, you really can't see the horse at all in this picture, uh, and the rider is riding away because of obviously seeing the horse's face is not important when you're going to buy one. So this is horse two thousand dollars in North Powder. I wonder where North Powder is. Uh, Gelding, 15-hand trail tail horse. Well, that's all we see, so that's appropriate, right? <laughs> it is a tail horse. That's true. <laughs> Gelding, 15-hand tail horse. And Ned, to know how to ride, he is 15 years old. Well, Ned must be the rider, obviously. Yeah, yeah. and well, we, we see Ned, we see the tail. And the horses. But what more do you need, right, to buy this $2,000 horse in, in North Powder, wherever that is? <laughs> the photographer was like, show me show me the horse's finest assets. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That was a good one, Mandy. That was good. <laughs> All right. Colt sent the next one in. By the way, if you submit a sound file, you record it on your little phone, and you send it over to Jennifer at HorseRadioNetwork.com, and we give you double the credit. If you do, or double the entries into the contest. And by the way, all the entry, all, all you people sending in will be in for our next batch of prizes. Uh, if you do it in an accent that's not your own, like Southern accent or Australian accent or whatever, you get triple the entries. So Colt sent this in. Good morning, Glenn and Jamie. This morning, is Colt, Colt Farrington coming to you with what's actually a pretty good ad. Colt's a cowboy, in case you can't tell, but... He's one of the articulate ones. <laughs> and now I know the show is really bad ads, and I'm instantly disqualified for having a good ad, but I recorded it myself. So I've paid my entry fee, and I want my steer. So just consider this a schooling session, and let's go. This ad comes to you from the Day Thuggin Facebook page again. Um, I noticed some of y'all have made it onto the Day Thuggin page. Just want to say welcome. The coffee's on the stove, the meds go in the fridge, and the beer goes in the cooler. <laughs> now, this is for an F-350 flatbed pickup truck, and it reads just like this. Do you or a loved one suffer from a lack of coolness? Then I've got your cure. This 2007 F-350 Dually runs on diesel fuel and freedom. If John Wayne, Ronald Reagan, and Chuck Norris sat down with a big chief tablet, this is the truck they would design. 
It was made in Kentucky, the state that brings you bourbon, bluegrass, and the nation's 47th-ranked educational system. <laughs> it runs like it's got dirt on the Clintons. And if you've got enough chain, it could pull the Titanic from its murky depths. It's got 247,000 low miles on it. And just like the recliner my wife made me throw away when we got married, it's broken just right. It may yeah. identify as a Lamborghini race car. But it's built for work with flatbed and boxes that will add some stamps to your man card. It's not used that much. And just like Patrick Swayze said, nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> well, I take payments, you ask. Heck yeah. A one-time payment of $14,000. <laughs> the price is like Kim Kardashian's britches. There may be a little wiggle room, but not much. <laughs> All right, guys, that's it. I just want to say thank y'all for bringing the fun on a Friday. Hope everybody has a good weekend. God bless. <laughs> Sold. Cole, you should read all the ends. <laughs> it's all in the presentation. <laughs> it is. That's just brilliant, Cole. Well done. <laughs> all right. You have the next one. Hannah sent it in. I do. All right. So this one's from Hannah. And this is for, I'm going to, this is, it looks like a Craigslist ad. So it's for an eight-year-old mare horse paint, $3,000 in Darlington. And it shows a Tobiano paint mare in some cross ties, bad angle, but at least you can see the face in this one. (laughs) (laughs) You can actually see the front. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they've actually got like four pictures in here where you can see the horse. So we'll we'll give them points for that one. (laughs) All right. So the ad reads, for sale, for is F-O-R-E. For sale is our beautiful mare, Mama. She's an eight-year-old paint that will take a saddle, harness, bit, and ride with no problems. 3,000. Call or text. <laughs> and I need to know more about the name Mama. Like, are there foals what? running around? <laughs> Does it only use a saddle harness bit? A saddle harness bit. It will take a saddle know. harness bit. And ride with no problems. So apparently you have to use a saddle harness bit in order to ride this one. I guess so. I don't know exactly what they're talking about there. Yeah, I just feel like there's more to the story with her, her name being Mama. I, <laughs> I know someone. I know someone with a cat named Mama, and the reason her name is Mama is because she was running all over the town having kittens until that woman was like, <laughs> "Enough is enough," and she uh, she brought her, and she was it was a stray cat, so she adopted her and got her spayed. But her name's still Mama because she was having all these kids running around town. <laughs> So I looked up North Powder to see where it was because I had to know. So North Powder, the what uh, last ad was in North Powder, is in Oregon, actually. And uh, mm-hmm. it was incorporated in 1903. And the population, as of 2019, is 460. Oh, wow. North Powder. So there you go. Everything you needed to know about North Powder because it's not that big. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe it. amazing these little is tiny that, towns. Is that a Craigslist ad? Let me go back to that. Was that a Craigslist ad, the North Powder one? I think it was, right? Yeah, uh, yeah it could have been that. Yep. Yeah, I can't believe tell. they even have their own Craigslist with I know, I know. population that small. <laughs> part of something else for sure. <laughs> All right, the next one is from Jamie. It's from uh, Sheet Inventors Unite, uh, of course, the Facebook group that we all know about. And uh, this was posted on that page, but it was part of the Rodeo and Camp Drafting Australia page. Okay, so that's where this was found. Rodeo and camp drafting. What's camp drafting? Is that like camping? I don't know. I don't know. You need to look Australia has different words yes. for <laughs> things like trailers or floats in Australia. So All yeah, right. we're going to have to Google that one. You yeah. read it, I'm Googling. <laughs> All right. Apologies for the cryptic wording, but my post keeps getting declined due to the keywords. So that's what happens when you try and sell a horse. So I'm chasing something with four legs to teach a mate with two legs how to ride the thing with four legs so we can muster lots of things with four legs. I, I would it would be desirable that the four-legged thing was bred to track chase block the other four-legged thing that has not seen more than 15 laps around the sun and is sure-footed and we are some not so flat country so they're looking for a horse to wrangle some cattle is what it looks like uh 
it would further be appreciated if the four-legged thing doesn't doesn't have itch, doesn't bite, doesn't have cold back. I can handle some bad habits. Male or female is fine. <laughs> some bad habits, not all of them. <laughs> Lease would be fine with the option to adopt or straight up adopt if that works out. Located in North Rivers, North Southwest. There you go. Look, he was clever. So did, I mean, kept they did getting a great job with their keywords. <laughs> yeah, kept getting de- <laughs> getting deleted. It wasn't deleted this time. So there you go. Oh, that's too good. All right. Do you want to know what camp drafting is? Yeah. What is that? Okay. So I'm I'm gonna grab this clip here from this website. So the the very basic idea of camp drafting is when one mounted rider moves into a small yard <laughs> called a camp and selects one beast from a small mob of cattle. He or she then proceeds to move the beast towards the camp opening, which is blocked by either men on horses or two gates with men holding them shut. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. It Do they let the like, cow out? It, uh, well, let me keep reading. Okay. The mounted rider blocks and turns his beast several times. I love that they're calling it a beast. <laughs> turns his beast several times across the face of the camp. The single beast tries his hardest to get past the rider and back into the mob. When the rider feels he has shown the judge enough of his horse's ability to hold the beast clear of the mob, he calls for the gates to be opened so he can take his beast out into a much larger area to complete a course. Oh, and then they go through a course. The course consists of two pegs, usually small trees. What? Two pegs, usually small trees. Trees and pegs are not the same one. It's translation, I think. Yeah, it's it's two pegs set apart, one on the left, one on the right, directly out in front of the camp. So there's a lot. There's this. This article's long, but it sounds like it's kind of like team penning. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. It's like team penning. They just call it something different. Although when they're saying beast, I I just saw the new trailer for the new Jurassic Park, and that's what I'm thinking of. (laughs) (laughs) I guess their cows look a little different in Australia. (laughs) Rounding up the pterodactyl. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good read. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think I have the next bad ad here. All right. So this one is from Courtney. And uh, all right, let me see what we've got. So I've got one picture and then the short description. So it looks like it's an ad for a trailer. Um, I can see in the headline here, 1983 Sundowner. That's all I can see for $3,500. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Well, trailers are hard to come by these days. So (laughs) take what you can get. So the, the description says two horse bumper trailer has front load and side door also. Has seven foot ceiling height. I bought it as a bill of sale, and my wife keeps buying horses, so that's the reason for selling. <laughs> Is this to stop the wife from buying more horses? <laughs> Pulls real good and straight. Sold as is. Lights do not work. Needs rewired. Selling as bill of sale, that's how I purchased it. Which I believe means it doesn't have a title, I think is what that's saying. But, I feel like that's what that yeah, means. Yeah, and uh, by the way, the lights aren't the only other thing that needs work. If you look at the floor. Good God. <laughs> it looks like your horse will be doing the Flintstone thing by the time you get to where you're going. And There's definitely some corrosion here. Yes. <laughs> and the wood in the floor is pretty rotted because they've taken plywood and put it on top of that and that's also rotted so there you go plus for some reason there's a western saddle sitting on the divider in the horse trailer i don't know why maybe oh, you get the western just, saddle it's with just it. a mess i don't know how she keeps buying horses with this trailer it's <laughs> like if i sell the trailer really she local. can't get anymore <laughs> horses for sale are all really local so yeah. she only has to haul in five minutes <laughs> She's going to ride him home, so he's screwed. And he's apparently selling her saddle, too. So there, take that. That's funny. Danielle sent this one in. It's pretty short. It's a picture of a couple of chickens. Two free egg-laying chickens in Spencer, Oklahoma. We have two egg-laying chickens. Please take them or my dog will. (laughs) I am glad Jamie isn't here. It actually says... Uh, egg laying chick- chickies almost oh, chicks. Yeah. There's oh, no yeah. end. There's oh, no that's chicken. true. You're right. <laughs> and I am so glad Jamie's not here because she'd be driving to get these chickens because she wouldn't want them fed to the dogs. And it's in Oklahoma. So she'd be going get it. She'd be getting these chickens and she doesn't need more chickens. Well, they know. look like they're in some kind of, I don't know, maybe that's, that's, maybe that's dog fence, but there's some kind of fence around these chickens. Yeah. Yeah. That's why the dogs. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's why they got to go. Dog can't go out because he keeps trying to eat the chickens. <laughs> I'm sure someone adopted them pretty quick. <laughs> chickens are popular right now. Yes, they are. <clears throat> you have the next All right. one, I think. Okay, let's see what we got. So this one's from Marie, and this is another trailer. And the title of this uh, ad is 1904 Fancy Pants in Fort Wayne, <laughs> Indiana. 1904. And it says free on this. Let's see what the rest of the ads. Oh, it is free. Okay. So free exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. <laughs> Tip trailer. I made it for goats to get out of weather. Would make a nice chicken coop or really any small animal or convert it back to being a trailer. Would need new floor. If hooking up to hitch and driving away, you would need to take the siding and two by fours out. <laughs> and it, it kind of looks like a run-in shed on wheels. So if you've seen like your run-in sheds for your horses with like the tin siding, this is kind of what this looks like. And it's, but it's got wheels on it. And you Actually, can for it. free, it would make a great chicken house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a bad deal. I wouldn't haul this one, but it's a, yeah, it does say he made it for his goats to get out of the weather. Like, I, I mean, that was creative. I don't really know why he built it on a trailer. Because if a, he had all these other materials, I don't, I don't get the purpose of the tr the trailer on wheels part. But. It took me a while to figure out what a tip trailer was. The only thing I could figure is that when you unhook it from the truck, it tips over. So, I don't know. Oh, you know, well, goats would like that. Yeah. Goats like things that move and they like climbing on things. I had goats oh. when I was growing up. It's so. like a seesaw. Yeah. It's oh, like perfect. It's like its own built-in obstacle course for goats. So, goats would probably <laughs> think this is pretty rad. Yeah, that's right. Okay, this <laughs> ad is not a bad ad. It's approved. Uh, Deb sent this one in. Gelding for $350 in Zephyr Hills, which is Florida, by the way. Uh, super sweet gelding, no buck, bite, or rear. My kids can ride him by their self. He can ride in a saddle or bareback. He can ride with the lead rope, halter, or bit selling at no fault of his own. Just don't have much time anymore. Really, horses are always sold at no fault of their own because they have no say in it. I'm starting a second job. He is five years old, and he just had his feet done less than three weeks ago. He's a great little jumper. Also, my daughter jumps logs with him. There you go. Poor daughter's living horse. <laughs> if the daughter knows. Do you think the daughter knows? Probably not. <laughs> She's going to come home and the horse is going to be gone. Yeah, I was the daughter when my parents decided to sell a horse that wasn't a good fit. And I, I think I cried until they got me the next horse. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. This next one is from Ida. And this, oh, this is a long one. All right. So it's all text, no pictures. I gave it to you because it was a long one. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. With a heavy heart, Little War needs to find a new home. He has become a master of escape. <laughs> His name Wiggles is Little under... War, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Wiggles under welded wire, pops gate panels off the hinges, and his too freaking adorable for words grizzly esque curly coat is too thick for hot wire to have any effect. He's <laughs> oh, not even getting shocked. <laughs> <laughs> we had that problem in winter with some of the horses. <laughs> We fear he will either end up in the road or with the big horses where he'll climb into the hay ring and be chewed on <laughs> and be chewed on like a fuzzy Kong toy. <laughs> oh, my God. He's pretty good with his feet. Friendly when it's his idea or when you have food. Remembers when he's halter broke once you remind him. He's very fast and agile. Little War is about, oh, this one's not Little War, it's Lil War, is about 24 inches tall with a 17-hand high personality. I know this was a mini. You just knew reading this ad it was a mini. Oh, yeah. Named oh, Little yeah, War. Totally <laughs> <laughs> he currently lives in Antigua, Wisconsin. Don't worry if you don't have a trailer. He's small enough. He'll fit in a minivan. <laughs> Serious inquiries only. <laughs> We always say that the name fits the horse, so be careful what you name your horse. Uh, this yep. one kind of fits. <laughs> it does more. fit. And they're not wrong. You can fit those minis in a minivan. Yep. I've seen it done many times, and I had minis growing up. We definitely put them in Did you in have minis growing SUVs. up? Yeah, we had, uh, we had a couple at a time. I tried to teach one how to drive, and I didn't know how to put, put the harness on, so that was a bit disastrous. But <laughs> <laughs> it is, It's <laughs> but more it trouble fun. learning how to drive for the human than the horse. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that he is took true. a hill with me once, and uh, it was no bueno. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, would you ever have a mini again? Oh, I would. I've yeah. said before, if we had our, if my husband and I had our own place, I bored right now. But if we had our own place, I would definitely get a mini. I love minis just for the comic value. Yeah, and yeah. honestly, I think I could teach one to drive no problem. There was just there was a piece in the harness, what uh, whatever the stopper piece is that keeps the the cart from rolling into the horse when you whoa. Mm-hmm. Yep, I didn't the have breaching, that part. That's called. <laughs> I don't know enough about about driving. To All know right, next what time you do this, there. let me know and I'll help you. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah, the the breaching is important. It keeps the, uh, the cart from smashing into the horse. Oh, so. Well, it smashed and he ran. And then <laughs> That'll happen. Never did it again. <laughs> it's also your brakes, actually. Uh, that's what it helps on the downhill sides. All right, let's uh, wrap this thing up. Thank you, uh, Mandy, for joining me. Where people can people find your podcast? You can go to the leadlinepodcast.com or on any major podcast player. You can tell how tired Mandy and I both are at this point after the last couple of weeks. So you can also find all the past shows at horsesinthemorning.com. Head on over there today. We have 21 shows on the Horse Radio Network, including Mandy's. You can find those and keep those wherever you go. Just search for our app, iPhone or Android. Download the app. It's very simple to use. And uh, we will be back on Monday. Jamie and I will both be here. There'll be full boat of shows next week. However, I will only be on Monday's show because then I'm heading to PodFest for the rest of the week to hang out with the other cool kid podcasters. And I'm very excited about it because I have a ton of friends in the podcast world and I haven't seen them in a while. So I'm very excited to do that. And uh, I also have two presentations to do, which I haven't even started yet. So that's what I'm doing this weekend. Uh, But other than that, hang on. If you're an auditor, Mandy and I are going to talk trailer shopping after the show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mandy. Mm -hmm.